Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh dear brothers, sisters, friends and those folks that you out there I pray you're all well and welcome to another episode of the Blood Brothers podcast with your host Dili Hussain and your co-host Aki Hussain Assalamu alaikum everyone It was a bit of a pause, it took you a while I didn't think you were going to hand it over to me to be honest I thought you were just going to crack on I always hand it over to you Okay, anyway, today it's a different episode I'm telling you that now because number one it's our first non-UK guest Number two, this brother is a living legend. And if you don't know about this living legend, then you need to know about him. And now you know. <laughs> and that is brother Firaz Zahabi from TriStar Gym in Montreal. Salaam alaikum. Salaam, brother. Well, Firaz, how pleasure to meet you. Likewise. Is this your first visit to the UK? No, no, I've been here a few times. Would you ever consider moving here? Uh, it's not impossible. I love it here. I do love it here. Oh, wow. We'll make dua for you to move here. Inshallah. And inshallah, you'll never have to make hijrah here either. No. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> well, Aki has some questions for you before to kick off this podcast. He's been dying to ask you some questions. Mm. Fire away. Yeah. So, look, people, fans of MMA, people who follow MMA always have these conversations amongst themselves, right? They always have these conversations, you know, who would win in this bout if so and so in their peak for, for this person. So, I want to ask you, an expert in the game, right? So, we'll start with some who are. Obviously, still fighting, active champions and fighters, and some have since retired. Um, same divisions, and I want to hear what you think. If you were a betting man, which I know you're not, but besides that, obviously, they, uh, Dili can't help himself coming from that angle for some reason. I Sorry, don't know why? It's just a line that follows. But but, isn't it? <laughs> but but more so from the perspective of obviously being an expert in mixed martial arts. So, Rob Butica versus Israel Adesanya. Who do you think is going to... They're, they're going to fight at some point. I'm going to be very biased because I've worked with Robert Whitaker over the, like, uh, earlier on in his career. Yeah. So I'm going to be very biased. I always choose the guys that I work with. Yeah. So I, I'll say Robert Whitaker. There seems to be a bit of a lazy opinion about Robert Whitaker being a boring fighter. Yeah. Um, and maybe because he's not as exciting or um, extravagant maybe in striking as some other fighters. Well, if you compare him directly with Israel Adesanya. But if you look at some of the people that he's fought and some of the people that he's beat, there's no one really besides Israel that he's not fought in his division. Um, so you, ha you hold him in high regard, yeah? Absolutely. I think when you're when you're a champion, it's a bit different because you're always beating, you're always fighting the number one guy. You know, the number one contender, he beat number eight, he beat number four, he beat number three, he beat number two. He fights and now he gets a shot at number one. But the number one guy is always fighting the number two guy. You know, the champion's always fighting the number... Well, the champion's fighting the number one ranked guy, right? It's not easy, right, is it? So if you're <laughs> champion after champion, this guy's really good. And the number one guy, he got past the... He, he got past everybody else because he's really special. Yeah. So you're always fighting the special guy. So people think, oh, look, it does. it's not so lopsided. Yeah, because you're fighting the number one guy. You yeah. know, you're fighting the guy who got past everybody else. So I think it's it's a bit unfair to say that because if you look at the names that he's fought, he's really fought like really, really incredible, um, spectacular opponents. Yeah. And he's come out on top. So um, I, I think he's a very exciting fighter because when you saw him coming through the ranks, he was knocking out a lot of guys. He was. Rob Whitaker is. So you give him a number six, you give him a number eight in his division, he's, he's going to knock him out. Mm. Yeah. You know, the only guys who didn't get knocked out are the guys who were like number one by they're like a hair less than him mm. so it's just i think it's it's not a fair comparison and it's a national li uh, rivalry as well because uh, rob Whitaker is australian himself and israel's mm. from new zealand mm -hmm. so uh there's some national yeah, some there's, 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 there's some there's some yes, beef yes, there yes, as well yes. yeah some rugby beef yeah. Yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> so number two this one's interesting right nate versus nick at welterweight nate diaz versus nick diaz 
Well, you got the whole the blood big, brothers. You got you got the whole big brother <laughs> dynamic. So yeah. I think Nick takes it all the way. Why? Yeah. He probably's beaten the hell out of Nate a th- hundred thousand times as they were growing up. So all those beatings so as so they're so fighting, they're, so it's psychological. Yeah, it's gonna be like I lost this guy a hundred thousand times. You just don't believe you can win. Yeah. So I think Nick, Nick, all the time. It's not like going into the octagon with McNugget or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's gonna, he won't be able to 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 get past that psychological barrier. His his brother is just beating him down too many times. Here's a fight I'd really would have loved to have seen. Yeah, Matt Hughes versus Kamara Usman, welterweight. Who do you reckon will have it? Um, Matt Hughes in his prime? Yes, yeah, of yeah. course. Oh, yeah. Matt Hughes as welterweight champion. Listen, Matt Hughes has done a lot more than Kumaro has, do- Kumaro has done, but that's not a fair comparison because Kumaro hasn't had the time yet. Of course. So th- I can't say that the jury's out, but for sure Matt Hughes has done a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, will Kumaro do that? Honestly, I'll be honest with you, I don't think so. No. I don't think he'll do what Matt Hughes did. Because what Matt Hughes did, okay, in his time, it was amazing. If we brought him in those skills, if we took him, freeze frame, freeze frame him from that time and bring him into our time, no, his skills would be past date. But in his time, he was ahead of the curve, right? Like everything else, things advance. Today, the 20-year-old kids that are just starting, they're better than the guys who were champion mm. 10 years ago. Why? Well, they learned from the generations before. They found new shortcuts. Evolved. We've had, yeah, we've had new innovations in the sport. We've figured out so many things. So the, the, the generations before are, are, are getting faster. Be- but you measure him according to his time. According to his time, Mahuse is way better. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. What do you think about that performance? I know I'm going sidetracking a bit. What do you think of that performance from Tyron Woodley that night he lost his title to, uh, to Osman? Look, Osman beat him fair and square, man. Osman mm. was a better fighter. Um, I think Tyrone could win that fight. I think there was a strategical error, strategical mistake that happens in fighting where you just don't know. You've never sparred with that guy. You've never wrestled with him. So you got to kind of like, you kind of kind of like just give an educated guess on how the fight should go, how the fight can go and what I should do when it goes that way. And I think Woodley was surprised by the takedowns. Mm. And that he never recovered from those takedowns. He just kind of seemed like a, like he was trying to figure out how to stop these takedowns. He didn't have a solution. And the thing is, Woodley's an excellent wrestler. Yeah, mm. he's a phenomenal wrestler. Yeah. The thing is, the hold that Kumaro was using might have surprised him. And if he had trained for those, let's say now the rematch, he'll train for those. Maybe we have a different story. So I think it's two elite guys. And when you have two elite guys, it comes down to strategy. His strategy wasn't right that night. It happens. He's gonna reformulate. He's gonna try again. And sometimes we see rematches go the completely the completely other way. way. So that's, it, that's the interesting thing about but, it. But it was dominant though, right? Very dominant. Really dominant. Yeah, I mean, sure. it was relentless. I mean, it was yeah, pun- punches, stomach, stamping on the feet. It was just, it was all It over. was all Kumaru. <sighs> absolutely, it was. Okay, so next one. John Jones versus Stipe at heavyweight. So this is providing John Jones at some point in his life decides that maybe I should put on a few pounds and, <laughs> and, and, and fight at heavyweight. You know what? I, I've also trained with John quite a bit. Me and him used to actually be, back in the day, we used to be actually pretty close. So uh, I'm always going to pick the guys I, I, I go way back with. Yeah, I picked John Jones. But even regardless, forget that, for put that aside for now. I think he would beat Miocic. And uh, I just think he's too creative. He's too seasoned, and uh, he's just very smart in there. When he's in the octagon, he's a very intelligent fighter, mm. uh, John. He finds a way to win. Like Even though it's, the fight sometimes might be close, he finds a way to win. He has a history of winning, and um, he, he's grown up in the wrestling, uh, heavy wrestling training, heavy wrestling competition. He has over 300 wrestling matches. 
Incredible. That's what he told me once upon a time. And the thing is, how much you learn strategically, it's a different sport, but it's very related. You learn so much. I don't think I don't think Miocic has that kind of background in a boxing or like he doesn't have that extensive experience that that that'll carry John through a, a fight like that. But just to interject, we had a conversation in Abu Dhabi a couple of days ago, and I asked you whether you feel that John should be naturally fighting at heavy. Uh, I think that John is bigger than the light heavyweights. I do. I feel like you can lose the same amount of weight. You could lose more weight, but lose the same amount of percentage. Mm. So if, if I weigh 100 pounds and I lose 5 pounds, I lost 5%. If I weigh 200 pounds and I lose 5 pounds, I lost 2.5%. So sometimes a bigger guy will squeeze into a division. Yes, he lost more weight, but it was the same percentage of weight or very close to. Sure. So I think if they weighed them the next day, you'd see John Jones weighs a lot more than a lot of the guys he beat. Maybe not all of them, but a lot of them. And of course, he has a reach advantage that's beyond even it's it's a greater reach advantage than any of the heavyweights. So I do definitely think he can hold his own in heavyweight division. If he went in the heavyweight, he would do well. So do you think, like for example, Rumble Johnson and Gustafsson could also fought at heavyweight? Yeah, I believe so. I yeah. think I think you never know, but it could have hindered their their career to go to light heavyweight because maybe your body's naturally heavyweight, but you're squeezing it into uh, light heavyweight, and we've seen. Uh, we've seen um, Johnson do really well in round one, then fade in round two. Yeah, Why? Yeah. He's in great shape. He's yeah. a supreme athlete. I mean, yeah. the guy's well conditioned, but you go through a, a very hard weight cut, it can affect you definitely in the fight the next day. So I think it would have been wise for him to try, at least try heavyweight. Maybe he feels better than ever. And we've seen that. Guy go from one weight class, go up a weight class, and have a phenomenal run. For instance, Robert Whitaker. Mm. I've been, I've been, I know I've trained Robert for fights. I've seen his weight cuts. They were one of the worst weight cuts I've ever seen. Like I always tell people, the worst weight cut I've ever seen was Kenny Florian. The second worst weight cut was Robert Whitaker. He was just torturing his body to make 170. Then he goes up to 185. Guess what? Becomes champion. Yeah. And he's a very talented kid. He would do really good in practice, not so well in the fight. Then when he changed weight class, all of a sudden, he's doing really good in practice. And extremely well in the fight. So sometimes it's a blessing to go up. Yeah. Would you say the same about Kelvin Gastelum then from shifting yeah, from welterweight to middleweight? Gastelum for sure. He's yeah. very, he's not the tallest guy, but he's very Bulky thick. Guy. He's yeah. very thick naturally. Yeah. He's, a, he's a very uh, a robust guy. Like he can, he can, he can handle uh, himself. And, you know, uh, Rumble Johnson competed at welterweight. That's mad. No, I was there. I was there. Believe me, I was there those days. <laughs> it's amazing. I look at him today. It's you gotta impossible. You have to see the pictures. I, I believe me, I've been in the same room with him when he like I, I've seen the guy both at heavyweight uh, sorry at light heavyweight and at welterweight I couldn't imagine when he was making welterweight I couldn't imagine how he makes welterweight yeah. it's like uh, you know the Captain America the movie before he goes into the machine and becomes big mm -hmm. it's like the before and after of that it's, it's incredible okay next one peak Kane Velasquez versus Buddy DC at heavyweight Buddy DC was Buddy as in his his buddy, his team. Oh, his buddy. <laughs> yeah, Daniel Cormier, yeah. Sorry, that was so quick. Uh, that's a close one. I would say DC. Yeah? Even are we talking about are we talking about pound for pound? Or heavyweight? Even heavyweight, we're, I would we're pick DC. I like DC at heavyweight. I think DC does... He, I think he, it's more of a natural weight class yes, for him. You, Daniel. Okay. Um, so there's a big fight coming up that's been... Uh, as far as I know, it's been arranged. So Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. Yeah, that's right. For the, uh, the bad mother clucker. That, <laughs> yes, that's that what I hear. everyone's talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who do you think takes that? That's a tough fight to call. I would it's call, a hot fight. I would call, it's a hard fight to call. Nate. 
No, no, I will go Mazvidal. I'm going to go Jorge, yeah. I'm going to go Jorge. Mas- I th- really? I think he's on a tear at the moment. And I think I think he have the edge on him. And um, I think he's obviously, at the moment, he's more, he's had more experience in the octagon right now because he's been more active. Has Mazvidal done, does he, has he done many championship rounds though? Um, it's not. I, I don't think it's going to be a five round fight. I think it's going to be three round fight. And, uh, well, yeah. I, no, I think it's main event. It's main event. I think it's, it's five so it's round. It's probably going to be five round then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I think he'll bank in three out of the five. But the thing is, again, it's so up in the air. Who knows, yeah. man? Honestly, it's a I tough mean, one to call. Nate as well. So. I wouldn't be, look. It wouldn't shock me in the least if exactly. Nate wins. It wouldn't shock me. The, but if I have to pick, I'll take. I'll take Masvidal. Okay. Uh, Max Holloway in a rematch in lightweight with number one bullshit guy <laughs> <laughs> at lightweight. Uh, at featherweight, I would give it to Holloway because I think he'll survive the first couple of rounds and he'll just put too much pressure. At lightweight, eesh, that's a really tough one to call. Honestly, it would be like, he's a different man, isn't he? From that fight, he's a different man. But because I mean, he he lost to Poirier, and I feel like at one forty-five he towers over everybody, and his conditioning really comes into play. He has an advantage at one fifty-five. He doesn't tower over them, and uh, McGregor's beat him before. I think McGregor can edge him out. A three rounder. In a three rounder, I would pick McGregor. Five rounder would be even closer. Like it'd be very hard for me to choose. But in Fed, it might be a different. But story. It, it, it would definitely be a five rounder. It would either be a main event. Uh, I don't think McGregor would ever do anything other than a main event or a title fight. Okay. So hot one in lightweight. Everyone's looking forward to it. It's the matchup that everyone's waiting for. Tony Ferguson versus Khabib. Uh, that's a great fight. Listen, at this point in time, I have to pick Khabib. Mm-hmm. I just think Khabib is the best light heavy. Uh, sorry, lightweight in history of UFC. Uh, arguably one of the best pound for pound fighters in the history of UFC as well. Okay. And um I think just positionally he'll beat Tony. I don't know if he'll finish Tony. I don't think he'll finish Tony, but positionally he'll beat him. He's he's cleaner with his positions. Tony will do a good job, in my opinion, of escaping, but fundamentally he'll have lost a, key, a few key positions. And that will give Khabib the win. And do you see it being a similar story to other Khabib fights where he will dominate and he will control? Yes, but not as dominant. Sure. But yes. Okay. Khabib is GSP. At? At lightweight. At lightweight. Look, right now I don't think George will make lightweight anymore. Like I think there was a time and place where he was willing to do it. Yeah. There was a time. Let's say it was a now, catch at 160 or something. 160, know. listen, I'm, of course, I'm biased. <laughs> okay, there's no way I can, I can get around that. I don't think, I don't think it's, even, it's a biased issue, to be honest. Well, I, I mean, I understand I why I would be. being biased. I understand George, why yeah, I grew up with this. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'll be honest with you. Like, Sand as location. honest as I can be without being, like, you can't avoid being biased. Uh, I would say George would just, his, his kicking ability and his striking ability would carry the day, in my opinion. Okay. His strikes would set up takedowns because the wrestling's going to be very comparable. Their grappling's going to be very comparable. But when it comes to the striking, especially when it comes to the kickboxing style combinations involving uh, spinning kicks, side kicks, low kicks, high kicks, uh, Superman punches, George is way ahead, yeah. in my opinion. Way, way ahead. He's got a serious repertoire. Um, Khabib's more of a, fundamentally, he's a boxer. Yeah. And George has dealt with boxers for so many years. And mm-hmm. he knows the, the weaknesses and strengths of boxing. He'll avoid the strengths, he'll attack the weaknesses. And Khabib does kick, but his kicking ability is nowhere near the George's level. George's been kicking since he's six years old. Uh, he's going to squeeze those kicks in here and there, and that's going to make the world of a difference. Mm. So we've seen George, and we've got a couple more, yeah? So um, uh, we've, 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 we've seen George fight at lightweight, welterweight, and of course middleweight when he came and made easy work of Bisping, in my opinion. Mm. <laughs> well, round two was scary. <laughs> round two was pretty scary. And um, uh, Anderson Silva and George St. Pierre at middleweight. You know what? And George Tempe is a big man. 
He's a big man, but you know what? At that time, one thing we didn't know is what Chael exposed about Anderson Silva. Right. That he's not so hard to take down. And Which fight? The first or second? The first one. Okay. The first one. The first one was like an eye opener. Yeah. Like, we're like, wow, like, where's this takedown defense? And um, his grappling wasn't so impressive. Mm. So then we were like, really, like, this is the time to fight him, you know? But then he had the whole rematch thing with. We didn't know that about him at that time. And at that time, it was too risky to go from welterweight to middleweight because maybe you can't go back down to like welterweight. Mm. That's because, yeah, to welterweight. BJ Penn, when he went up to welterweight to fight George, he went from lightweight to welterweight. He didn't seem nor he didn't seem right again when he went back down. Because once you let your body go, and you start adding more calories, you add more muscle, and then you got to go fit into that smaller weight class. You might we were scared that it'll damage George's ability to cut to one seventy. Maybe his body's gonna morph, mm. and that's what old time boxers would tell us. And we we know we know fighters in the, back in the day when they went up a weight class, they were never the same when they tried to come back down. Because you, you can't help but let your body go mm. a little bit because you you want to be bigger because you're fighting a bigger guy. Um, I think that was always a scare. But if we knew that he was able to make it at that time, his def- takedown defense was the way it was. Uh, it would be a risk worth going and staying smaller. Like don't don't put on the weight. Just go there at a normal weight, 185. Because George Pierre's skills for takedowns are just as good as Chael's or better. And for sure, George's jiu-jitsu is way better. George is a highly seasoned fighter on the ground. On the ground, so when I saw that fight, I was like, "Look, this is a good fight for GSP." But we didn't know that back then. It was just too many. Okay, so it was too risky. So you'd give it to George. Yeah, I would. I would. Okay, last one. This is an important one. This is, this <laughs> is an important. Okay, so, we accept the last one for you. Oh boy. Versus Amanda Nunes. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, there's no right answer here. No, you, no, put no. A, you put me in a position. There's no right answer. Listen, I'm not a fighter, so I can't put myself in that uh, situation. But if you had to make a decision, listen, listen I'm gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> ball out of this one. I'm gonna say Amanda Nunes. Let me, Amanda, Amanda, Amanda. Okay, she's too good. I think, I think she'd give us a lot of us a, <laughs> a lot of us a even, even if you had to do a citizen arrest, we should love you. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Any more? I, I, I thought I'd leave it on that one. Good yeah. matchups, good lineups we put. Thank you. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Wicked, yeah. wicked. Look, uh, Brother Frost, uh, it's so long to have you here, my brother. And with your experience with GSP and Rory McDonald, and there's a few things that you mentioned uh, about weight cutting, right? Uh, and, and Robert Whitaker especially. What would happen to a normal human being right, who's not uh, an elite sportsman or an athlete if we attempted that kind of weight cut? What does that kind of weight cut well, you, involve? You, what does you, it entail? Well, you know, it's mostly uh, considered... Well, first, they want to cut carbohydrates. When you cut carbohydrates like breads, pasta, quinoa, uh, to potatoes... You start eliminating glycogen in your muscle. Your muscles, your, your glycogen stored one part glycogen, three parts water. So if you stop stop eating carbs, you'll lose easily about seven pounds of liquid. Okay, minerals, liquid, and um, so that's what they do. They cut their carbs, so they're going to eat more like vegetables and proteins. Then they'll also do a water load. They'll they'll be drinking a lot of water, so they'll eat, so they'll drink like six six liters of water a day. Wow. And then leading up to the weigh-in, they'll kind of cut it out. So what happens when you drink a lot of water, your body starts to urinate a lot. Obviously, you start flushing. Your body's flushing, flushing. You're actually dehydrating yourself because you'll go from six liters to four liters to three liters to two liters to one liter. And then you stop drinking, but your body was still flushing out. At least that's the narrative that they, they tell us. But it works, definitely. When you do the water load, you see guys lose weight. 
We cut the salt. Salt obviously retains water, but that's only at the end, like the last two days, let's say. We'll really minimize the salt. And then what happens? You'll have somebody lose 15 pounds, 20 pounds even. You know, we might even make them exercise a little bit and then have a very, very small meal. But this is all temporary weight loss, very temporary. So you'll see them all shredded on the way. But this is after they rehydrate, back to normal. Mm. You know, you're putting all that back in. So uh, maybe there is some fat loss, but it's very minute. It's very small. You, you can you could lose maybe a pound of fat in a in a in a week. Let's say you lost, in five weeks you lost five pounds. It's possible. It's very possible. If you're very overweight, it could be even more. But let's say you're 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 athlete. Losing one pound of fat in a week is is a lot. So yes, they'll lose twenty pounds, but it's not fat. Mm. It's just liquid, and uh, it's not true weight loss. Can a non-athlete attempt? That kind of yeah, you could, you can do it. I mean, people do it for weddings. People do it for special. Uh, you know, they people, can do it. People you, do <laughs> cuts can, for weddings. Absolutely, absolutely. People Some dedicated that. groups. People, yeah, yeah, they want to look good for their <laughs> photo shoot, their movie. That scene. is, I, I do. Uh, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> believe me, people do it, but it's temporary weight loss. The, the the best weight loss for somebody who's not fighting for a particular weight class is to actually have true weight loss. Mm. Now, in terms of like, obviously, there's lots of myths around different kind of diets, right? Yeah. Now, when I when I met you at the Abu Dhabi, I kept asking you about keto because I was on mm-hmm. keto myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brother got me on keto, mm-hmm. and um, you you said some positive things about keto. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is it is it a diet that you'd recommend? I, I find like people when it comes to the diet community, they're so like dogmatic. My diet is great. Your diet is no good. Yeah, it becomes it's like, like it all yours, works. Yeah. If you give me a diet and I actually follow the rules, it'll work. All these of people, them. These people, yeah, not all of them. Nine, let's say a good one. Let's yeah. say any 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 diet. The Atkins work. The Atkins will work. Ketogenics will work. Uh, um, Joel Furman's diet will work. Dolce diet will work. George Lockhart's diet will work. They all work. Is one better than the other? I think it comes down to a lifestyle. Mm. Intermittent fasting works. I've seen so many people. People tell me when they see me. You lost weight. I'm like, I don't know. Like gaining weight, losing. Every time I see somebody, I haven't seen it. They tell me I lost or I gained. Like, I don't know. I lost track. But here's the, here's the truth. If you can follow the rules, but don't follow any diet. Okay, I don't, I don't like fad diets. Follow somebody who's really respected in their field. They have a track record. Look at their diet. Ask yourself, does this fit my lifestyle? That's the diet you're more likely to succeed with. Mm. Like for instance, I like intermittent fasting. It fits my lifestyle. I like hours. to eat from 10 to 6. 16 hours. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I like to eat from 10 to 6. I have about an eight-hour eating window. If I want to lean up a little more, I eat from 10 to 3. That really works for my lifestyle. Why? Because I'm super busy. And I, at night when I finish training, I just drink water and I go to bed. I feel good like that. Mm. I, eat, I, eat whole, I eat whole foods as much as I can. I eat every few hours and I try to keep my, my blood sugar level. I follow a lot of what the Dolce diet does, which I love very much. These things work with my lifestyle. I'm so busy that I, I, I'm, I like to only eat in a small window. I eat in an eight hour window and then I fast for 16 hours for me. Perfect. Will it work for you? Yes, it will if you follow the rules. Mm-hmm. Will ketogenics work for you? Yes. With that said, every diet also has its pros and cons. So you have to look at the pros and cons and say, hey, what are my goals? So for instance, if I was a professional athlete, I wouldn't do intermittent fasting all, all the time because I find it, it it hurts a little bit the recovery. If you're gonna train hard like a pro, you need to eat, you need to fuel every few hours. Yeah. 
So it depends your goal. Look, I'm not a professional fighter. So I'm going to do intermittent fasting because it saves me a lot of hours in the day. I have one less meal to worry about. I have a lot, I'm super busy. I have emails to write. I have phone calls to make. So it just frees up my time. Ketogenic is great, but not for me because I love carbs. I enjoy eating carbs. I, I struggle before. You know, when I'm, when I'm on keto, I struggle before workouts. Big time. Mm -hmm, sure. I, I feel sure. weak. If you want to perform in a glycogenic sport, so glyc look, let, let's cut it, make it really simple. You have two forms of energy. You have more, but I'm going to cut it into two. You have, you have an energy system for uh, intense exercise and an energy system for mild exercise. So if you're jogging really slow, you can use fats for energy and you'll feel fine. It's not a glycogenic sport. Weightlifting? Weightlifting is a glycogenic sport. You need that carbohydrate, high-intensity fuel. Mm. If you're playing soccer, that's glycogenic. If you're playing basketball, if you're doing jiu-jitsu, if you're wrestling. If you're a sprinter, you need glycogen. So if you tell me you're not eating carbs and then we're going to go on the track and field, we're going to do a 400-meter race, well, guess what? You're going to underperform. You're not going to perform at your best because now you're going in you're going with no glycogen in a glycogenic sport. So there are solutions to that. Keto practitioners will say, look, but yeah, but we eat our glycogen, glycogen. we time it two to three hours before activity. Mm. Fine, if that fits your lifestyle, do it. Me personally, I don't like to only eat carbs right before I train. I've done it in the past, it works. So here's what I have to say. Find a, a diet expert who has a track record Examine his diet. Does it fit my lifestyle? Am I motivated to eat this way? Listen, for a while I was a fruit. I was a raw foodist. I would eat only raw foods. Yeah. Why? I wanted to experiment. I was actually enjoying it. How did that work out? I felt amazing. I felt great. I would only eat raw foods. I felt amazing. I lost weight. I was healthy. Energy was super high. I felt amazing. You didn't have raw chicken, did you? No, no, because you wouldn't feel amazing after. <laughs> no, you're not gonna feel yeah, amazing. Yeah. Salmonella doesn't yeah. make you feel amazing. Yeah, no, I don't, I don't think it does. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't think can't it really does. get chicken medium rare. <laughs> but you felt good. You, you know what? Some people eat chicken tartare. Yeah. Believe it or not. I've, yeah, I've seen it. Might be oh, the, it might be the last meal. Yeah, maybe the last meal. <laughs> you felt good. I felt really good, but after six months, I don't know what it was. I was maybe I was missing something. I started craving warm food, cooked food. I started craving it. And at one point, I started eating cooked food again. And you know what? I told myself, you know what? It worked really well for six months, but something was missing. The mm. level of training that I'm doing, I don't know. We don't have any research to see if that kind of diet will fit um, a program like what I'm doing. So I didn't think it was right anymore. But I learned the value of raw foods. Like I still eat more raw food. After that experience, I definitely eat more raw foods today. And I understand their importance after going through that. So... If you go on a diet journey and you find after a while it's not right for you, it's not getting you the results, try another one. Mm. The best diet is the one you're motivated to do. It's, it's designed by an expert with a track record and you're motivated to do it. That's the truth. In my yeah. opinion, that's the, what's going to work best. Staying on the theme of training, um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to refer back to some of the conversation that we had uh, in Abu Dhabi uh, because I think it's important for the listeners and the viewers. Um, you said something to me in the car when we were driving uh, to the cheese factory. Um, yes. We had that low calorie, low high protein, no sugar, <laughs> no sugar, no yeah. fat, high, right, protein, yeah. high protein, yeah. cheesecake. imitation, yeah. imitation, all, all protein. <laughs> you said to me, you know, constantly switch up your training, right? Mm -hmm. Never allow the yeah. body to get used to one yeah. thing, right? Mm -hmm. um, so, 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 how often does that need to be done? In because you were saying, look, mm -hmm. I respect people who do weights, mm -hmm. I respect people who do X, Y, and Z. All these, I mm -hmm. respect it all, and I do it all. 
Is that and how often are you expected to switch but it up? You have two sides of a coin. Okay, so let's say, let's say you never, I don't know, let's say you never play tennis, or we take you to a tennis court and we play tennis. You're likely to be sore the next day because you've never done it before. Let's say I take you uh, to the baseball field and I make you pitch, practice your pitching, but you've never pitched before. I guess get what? Guess what? The next day your arm's gonna be really sore. Why? Because it's so brand new. That's one side of the coin. If I change my workouts too often, I'm going to be really sore. If I do something too outside of what I'm used to. The flip side of that coin, if I do the same thing all the time, let's say you're a runner. Oh, I'm a runner. I love jogging every day. Okay, well, there are pros and cons to running. If you run all the time, some muscles you're going to use and some muscles you're not using. You can have overuse injuries because running requires stress on the knees and stress on the ankles, stress on the hips. Okay, even if you're running with really good technique, eventually you start overusing your joints. Plus, after a while, you plateau because your body's already adapted to running. You really have to do an intense amount of running or a high volume of running to break through that plateau. So we have two sides of the coin. They both have a positive and a negative. If you do something over and over again, the benefit is you, you don't get a sore, so it's not as uncomfortable. You need to balance. So let's say when I work out, I want to be just before I'm sore. I wake up the next day, I feel like I trained, but I'm not hurting. Mm. So I'll give you a for instance. Um, do you do weights? Yeah, sure, sure. I do everything, how, everything. How often do you do weights? Uh, it's really, it's really... It, it changes a lot. So like, for instance, I'll, I'll tell you what I did last week. Last week, I did five rounds of 500 meters on the roll machine. One minute break. The next day, the, sorry, the day before, I did box squats. Box squats and uh, pull-ups. Okay. The time after that, so I conditioned like three to five days a week. The time after that, I did bench press and deadlift. How the, many sets? Well, I, I go intuitive. I feel like I do it intuitively. So I, maybe I did like 15 sets. 15 sets? Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, per exercise, so 15, 15. No, 15 sets of um, of deadlift, 15 sets of bench press. Yeah. Flat? Yeah, yeah. That's a lot of sets. Yeah, it's a lot of sets, but I take my time. You know, I do like, I go, I'm go. i going heavy for me and I take my time in between them and I enjoy it. You know, I'm hanging out with the guys. We finish grappling. So we're just putting extra time in, but we, we enjoy it. You know, it's not, it's not work, you know. It's, it's more of a hangout. Yeah, but you're still doing work, you know. And okay, so... And then the workout of that, maybe I'll go for, uh, I'll do 400 meter sprints. Like I'm running now. But I've sprinted before, I've rode before. I'm slowly adding these things into my repertoire. And every time I flip them around, I'm giving my body a new stimulus. Mm. I'm breaking through plateaus. Now the beauty of it is you can kind of mix and match them as well. And you can kind of keep your body guessing. But if I do something new, like let's say I, I do an exercise I've never done before. Let's say I'm doing a back bridge. If it's new, I'm introducing it into my uh, my uh, my uh, toolbox here of new new exercises I can use. Yeah, I'm gonna do a very mild amount because I've never done that before. So I'm gonna go half the weight I think I can do and half the reps and half the sets I, I normally do. And I'll see the next day. Hey, am I really sore? You wouldn't no. go in hard. What's that? You wouldn't go. No, in I'll hard. never go. I'll never do a new exercise hard. Never. Eighty percent. No, like fifty. Okay. Like sometimes. Like when we do gymnastics, you get accustomed. There's, there's a new movement. Okay, if it's really, really new, I'm not doing it hard. I'm just gonna kind of throw a jab out there and see, because the thing is, like after years of training, you realize that 
If you go in the gym and you make yourself horrendously sore, it doesn't help your training because you can't train for a few days now. And so you're, I'm actually putting the brakes on my on my uh, my training. So mm. and plus I'm flirting with injury. Why would I do that? You know, if your body's achingly sore the next day, it's because you really push the body to a limit where there could have been a failure in one of your systems, your knees, your hips, your you could have injured yourself. So you, there should never be a, a, a crazy amount of soreness. And yeah, we see the pros training really, really hard, but they built that level over the years. You know, if you try to do an elite athlete's workout, but you never trained before, I guarantee you go to the hospital. Yeah, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to the hospital. Just, <laughs> you're just talking, <laughs> just hearing it. Just like I just, I thought you're proposing it. <laughs> you're scared. You, you know, as as mixed martial arts is continuously evolving, and you said it yourself earlier on in the podcast, that if we were to take Matt Hughes of then and put him against mm. some of the the youngsters now, he'd struggle because sure. because it's constantly evolving. Mm. Why has contact sports such as the more kind of traditional types like what we grew up, Taekwondo, Tang Soo Do, Karate? Why have they lost their kind of relevance? Because they are weird. Because those gyms are shutting or would down. You, or would you say they have lost their relevance? Uh, I would say they have. Yep. Personally, listen. I know a lot of people. Sometimes when I say that, they, they get really upset and they start writing. Or Wing Chun. Here, here's the thing. You hear that, Hamza? Wing Chun. No. <laughs> here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> it's theoretical. But they are dying out in the UK. Those gyms are shutting Absolutely. down. Absolutely, they're shutting uh, down. There was a generation of people that we knew yeah. that used to have yeah. different colored belts. Yeah. Look, um, I, I like I like what Fred Hatfield said. Beth, what, what he said. He said, "Look, there's good, better, and best. Mm. Something could be good, but there's something out there that's better than that. And then th that better thing is 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 good, but it, there's also something that's the best. The best we know, as far as we know about exercise science and combat and." All, this is the best we've tested it mm. wing chun is good it's just that other arts are better and there's some arts that are the best that's all I, you know it's it's not bad like if you didn't if two guys fought one guy did wing chun one guy didn't do nothing the guy with wing chun is gonna is gonna mop the floor with the guy who doesn't train no problem so someone who does wing chun and wrestling isn't the most complete complete fighter out there I would say no because it hasn't been proven in the field, you know, and, 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 and you know it just hasn't been proven. Somebody would have to come and, and qualify, and it wouldn't be, it couldn't be just one guy. It would have to be a whole team of guys that came yeah. from that background because that guy, one guy, could be special That's in right. some way. But we don't know. So sure. what? So what? So why has Taekwondo and Tang Soo Do, and they've kind of like I, I'm, I'm going to use my words wisely because I don't want to offend my good friends and those guys who are still out there practicing. Right. And, and even Wing Chun, and, but why has kickboxing and Muay Thai, how has, how has that remained relevant? Because the, the champions use these sports, you know, the elite of MMA. I mean, I they mean, they use Anthony boxing, Pettis. they use Muay Thai, yeah. they use even Taekwondo kicks. Like, yeah. don't, like Anthony Pettis has a Taekwondo background, it's he like was a, world champion, like and he used a lot of kicks from Taekwondo. Okay, okay. besides but Pettis he, and Machida, he, he, who, who else? No, no, there, there are plenty of guys with Taekwondo backgrounds. Like, for instance, George right. has a karate background. Karate is very similar to Taekwondo in many ways. Yeah. Um, they use very similar kicks, but he used his karate is, is is rooted in some ways in his wrestling and boxing because the thing is, taekwondo kicks leave you susceptible to takedowns. Of course. So if you don't know how to handle yourself on the ground, you're going to be scared to kick because the guy's going to grab your leg and put you on your back. But a guy who's really good wrestling, really good jiu-jitsu, he's going to kick, and those kicks will start to work. So there are guys that use taekwondo kicks. In MMA all the time. Mm -hmm. And they work. Yeah, I mean, uh, Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he has a taekwondo training. For instance, Ryan Hall, for instance. Yeah. yeah. He just really, you know, he, he uses kicks Im immensely well. Yeah. 
And those are taekwondo, karate kicks. You can you can label them taekwondo, karate. I mean, they, they use similar techniques. Sure. It's a question. It's more of a rule set. So when you say te- karate and taekwondo, it's mm-hmm. more of a rule set. The rules are different when they compete, but they all have side kick. They all have back kick. They all have yeah. cr- and there's variety uh, variations in the style of kicking, but they're still s- very similar in, in the yeah. same way. So the the taekwondo guys when they first went into MMA, a lot of them lost because they didn't know how to wrestle and grapple. It wasn't that taekwondo the problem. What about, the, what about capoeira? Do you think they, they, they reckon there's... There are some tough capoeira guys yeah. in MMA. Yeah. However, they haven't reached the highest level. Mm. And so why? Because I, f- I feel like capoeira is great. However, it costs so much energy. So we've had guys do amazing capoeira yeah. kicks in MMA. It has happened. It has yeah. worked. Yeah. Just it costs so much energy that if they don't get the knockout in round one or round one and a half, let's say, they're going to lose. They've expelled a lot of energy. Exper- at that, when you get to the high level, they know you do that. If you don't catch them by surprise, they're going to stay away from it. Mm. Faraz, I want to get something off my chest. <laughs> Every time I attend a UFC event, I'm ridden with guilt. Really? Yeah, man. Why? It's, it's, like, a, it's like a dirty hidden secret for me. I swear, Dan, I mean... Uh, what was the first live one we went to? It was... Uh, it was, it was, it was uh, the, main, the main... Fight event. Night. Fight Night. Bisping vs Silva. Yeah, the main, yeah, event, that, main event in 2 that, that was the first UFC fight we went to. It's just... I, I, I don't know, man. I mean, sometimes when I reflect... Especially after the whole Khabib and McGregor and how it's literally the Muslim fellowship of UFC has multiplied <laughs> by three, four, five-fold. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Like, like everyone is... It's become Khabib. another school of thought. Like, 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 like they've, 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 forgo- <laughs> they've, they've forgotten the old days. Yeah, they've forgotten the old days. The, the Shamrock and Tito Ortiz beef and, and the... And the Tank Abbott days and, and your Matt Hughes, your Matt Hughes, the Bravo Rampage Jacksons. Can you just give me a ruling that to say that a fatwa that it's okay to attend UFC fights, please? <laughs> well, I don't know of any fatwa that's okay to attend <laughs> UFC fights. You know. Okay, look, uh, what's <laughs> happening now is more and more young Muslim men who are clearly Khabib fans Sorry. because you, because you know after Khabib's victory of McGregor, so many uh, wrestling uh, gyms opened up. There was about there was about, there was about thirty within a month just in the south of England, right? And there's two popular ones in Bedford, two very Good. popular, ones. which is our hometown, Rise, Rising Green <clears throat> and what's the other one? And a Kraken, Kraken. Now, with that comes an urgency to want to attend UFC events, uh, and besides the whole kind of ruling behind strike in the face, as per the hadith, which is uh, usually cited. There's also other things which I guess crosses over with boxing fights as well. The ring girls, uh, the the consumption of alcohol, sponsors, um, sponsors you know, even even just the general environment. The peripheries. Yeah. And and, and, and I'm and I'm having this conversation more and more often. In fact it's a massive social media debate. Uh, amongst mm-hmm. Muslims, mm-hmm. this is one of the biggest mm-hmm. debates that's happening right now. Yeah, it's actually is yeah. is attending MMA fights because because boxing, okay, fine, okay, but boxing wasn't really a thing. I mean, when was it? I mean, if we've got Amir Khan in the UK and we, before they had Nasim Hamid, Nasim Hamid, but they were never as big as Khabib, mm-hmm. right? But now that Khabib's coming to see someone who's unreservedly, unapologetically Muslim, right? Mm-hmm. And and he, and he, and, he, and he wears it on his sleeve, and he's mm-hmm. given, he's instilled some level of izzah and khira. Yeah, the first thing he says when he wins is Alhamdulillah, yeah, and, and, and he makes sajda yeah. and all this. And, and, and we know the lifestyle he's lived in Dagestan and all that. Mm-hmm. There's a massive debate now: is it allowed? Is it not allowed? Should we promote it? Should we tell people we're there? Should we keep it a secret? Is it a dirty secret? Ya Allah, forgive me for attending this, but what a bad boy fight it was. 
But no one will say No one will at Khabib though Because they don't, they don't want to get You know The location They don't want to get <laughs> but, Yeah But it is It is. Is, is, is is there any advice That you can give to young Passionate Muslims Who are constantly debating this issue Without giving a ruling of course Even though I would like yeah, you to give a ruling No 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 I mean I'm not <laughs> No I couldn't do that Listen I'm not a I'm not a Expert in, in uh, Islamic law Okay but here, Here's what I have to say And I, and I hope any mufti listening to this will consider it at least. We should never let somebody know something and us not pursue it and learn it for ourselves and know it. We have to know it. There's nothing you shouldn't know. Mm -hmm. Nothing useful. You shouldn't know everything about it. So me, my intention when I trade, my intention when I, when I uh, watch fights is to learn how do I defend myself. That's my only goal. I make a living from it, so I can go even further in this uh, uh, science. Yeah, but you can do that without competing for us. How so? You can train to an optimum level mm -hmm. at the gym. Oh God, I feel a slapping down coming down. But you, but you can train oh, you're to. Gonna it. Get one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're gonna get one. You can get. You can finish it. Yeah, 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 no, 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 no. I don't know if the cameras can come. I no, competed. No, no. You didn't. Let's no, no. see. <laughs> you train at an optimum level, so so, so you can you as a Muslim can train with GSP as much as you want or Rory as much as you want, and not have to mm -hmm. go and compete. Okay, and, let me, and make money off it and get let me, let get me, lots uh, of Instagram let me, followers. Let me give me. you an example. Okay, let me give you an example. I'm gonna give you a book. Okay, okay. you're gonna read the book. Okay, it's a book on swimming. It's a Bruce Lee example. I don't know how to swim, and but the book's gonna tell you how to swim. Okay, you move your arm like this, and you go like this, and the book is telling you everything about swimming. And then one day. You're in the ocean. <laughs> I push you in the deepest, darkest ocean. And the oh. waves are not friendly this day. I'll die. You're going to die. Won't you come and save Bruce me? Bruce Lee said, look, you want to learn to swim? You got to get in the water. Mm. There are so many things you think are uh, theoretically. But then when you get in the water, it's totally different. Like I'll tell you, for instance, okay? We don't know that when you get into the fight, because it's a real fight, and people are watching, and you're under the lights, there's a heavy psychological... Uh, element at play between the two fighters. We didn't know that until we actually went and competed. Sure. Now that's become a science. So if you're training in your little dojo and you think you know you're doing exactly what those guys are doing, you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm here to tell you. And that's, that's why I would appeal to to the muftis because they don't know because they haven't been there. That's why I try to communicate to that, that to them. Is that it's very different. You can't reproduce that environment. You can't reproduce it. We have to actually try it for real. And when the punches are real and the chips are down for real, it's different. Mm. And for me to explain it to you is very difficult unless you've been in that environment. So you think everything is right, but when you're standing across from one another and then now it's real, it's totally different, mm. okay? So there is an element, there's something there. You, you, you're not gonna know until we put you in there, okay? So in my, in my opinion, I've been, I've, I've been through it. I understand what it is. It's hard to communicate, but believe me, there's something to actually going in the arena into into the testing field and doing it for real there's something else there's something to learn Khabib shut McGregor up you know what alhamdulillah that he did I'm not gonna go into the details of why but he if somebody's if somebody there's a point where you have to stand up that wasn't a normal fight and Khabib can stand up why and he can stand up for all of us why? Because he paid the price. He went in there and he learned something we don't know. That's something that shouldn't, in my opinion, I, as a recommendation, we shouldn't leave on the table. Young kids should learn to wrestle. They should learn to spar. They should learn to 
They should learn to defend themselves. And yeah, you don't have to take it to that level. I'm not saying it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. But we should have a handful of those who feel inclined to. They should go out and try because they're going to be able to teach us. They're going to be at the forefront. Now, we need everybody in every field. In my opinion, we need people in every field. Math, science, philosophy, even art, everything. And combat sports, for sure we should have exports in combat sports. And not, not, not knowledgeable people in combat sports, experts in combat sports at the highest level. Champions. Champions. We should. We're not always going to have the champions, but we should have champions. Why? But we've got you for philosophy. I don't want you to get hurt. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> I'll try to keep this brain intact, but I can't promise the CTE is going to catch up <laughs> to me sometime Alhamdulillah. soon. Alhamdulillah. But you know what I mean? And, and look, they're inspiring a generation. They're inspiring a generation. That's the truth. Muhammad Ali inspired a generation. Khabib is inspiring a generation. Why? Why, why is Khabib of all the fighters And there's other Muslim sportsmen out there There's well, other well, Muslim you know, athletes You know we talk about Khabib right <clears throat> And we talk about this, uh, this, The popularity that's come with Khabib's success <clears throat> May Allah give him more success Than other fighters like him Ameen. Who are Muslim uh, Success in whatever they're doing And since we're talking about MMA and combat sports In that field specifically Khabib you know, there's, there's brothers that we know right And probably you yourself as well And all across the world Who most definitely from our experience don't have any combat background uh some many don't even train or exercise um are not even necess- wouldn't even consider them- themselves probably practicing muslims or even pray salah and things like that but they they lean to khabib mm. they identify with khabib ah, yeah. um and and you know that's something uh, is which is which is special and it is and but that, um, but that could be because of a lack of role models and confident role models because yeah. because there is there is a, there is a there is a genuine leadership crisis within the ummah. Yeah, of course, I understand that. So, so they, they they tend to navigate towards uh, anyone who remotely confidently portrays Islam. Would you say that's one of the reasons why so many Muslims, I mean millions, are inclined towards Khabib? Like his Instagram following went from like three and a half million to twelve million within a week. Majority of them being Muslims. And like right. everyone's a Muslim, like your, your local drug dealer is a Khabib fan, your local gangster is a Khabib fan, yeah. uh, the local takeaway owner is a Khabib fan, yeah. the local taxi driver is a Khabib fan. I think this fame and influence is a fitna. Mm. And I think Khabib is doing a good job, to be honest with you. I, I can't, I can't I'm, not, I'm not here to judge, but I think he's doing a good job, Khabib. Alhamdulillah. And inshallah, that inspiration that he's, that he's ignited will lead to something good. It could lead to something bad. It's a fitna. Some people are going to take that inspiration. Some people are going to turn into something bad and some people are going to turn into something good. And that's their fitna. Uh. Which way is it going to go? I can't tell you, but it's going to be at each individual, you know, because look, at the end of the day, Khabib has inspired the Muslim people to come together and rally around him. It's a, it's a beautiful thing. In Without, my a doubt. Without a doubt. But what's the intention at the end of the day? At the intention when he wins, he says, Alhamdulillah. He doesn't take uh, uh, victory for him he, He's not about himself He's a very humble human being I've met him personally The guy's an incredibly Humble human being When he was fighting For his title fight In New York I saw him walk in He was going to his way And he's a very busy guy You know, He's fighting for a world title I stood out of the way Because I don't want to get In the way of his entourage I, I know what it's like To move around With so many people He saw me at a distance He came by And shook my hand And sat there And talked to me For a few minutes And I know he's got A lot of people Waiting for him He went And he shook my hand Showed the respect And he talked to me We chatted a little bit Friendly I wished him all the best For his fight He's a true gentleman A very good human being He's using his influence For something positive We're going to have A generation of Muslims That can defend themselves I think that's a good thing 
And the reason why is because one of us went to the highest level. And inspired. And he did it. And now we're going to have a generation of Muslims who are going to be able to uh, defend themselves, have true confidence. You know, it, it's good. It's a good thing. In my, in my opinion, again, who, who am I? I think the whole... All no, the you're someone. All the hadiths about hitting somebody in the face, that's reference to altercations or punishment. Hmm. Don't punish somebody by slapping them or hitting them. Don't, don't, don't settle an altercation by going that far. I get that. But I don't see a fight... As being malicious. As being an altercation. Yeah. It's not an altercation. We're trying to best ourselves. Now, it's not for everybody. Mm. Not everybody's a fighter, but there are people who are born with it, instinct to, for war or fight or defense. You know, um, They have this, this, this uh, predisposition huh. to compete, to do something. They have, you know, they're young men. I think it's a safe environment and a good environment for them to exercise that. But the benefit is learning how to defend ourselves for real, not uh, something that's maybe going to work. We're not sure because it's not truly tested. You understand? Mm -hmm. That's why for me, martial arts, it has to be real. So given that, I think it's undeniable to say that, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm confident he says that Khabib's uh, Islamic character, and, and that's what it is, the, the very fact that, you know, he, he'll go to Africa after a massive victory, build wells. Uh, he constantly reminding people about respecting parents, uh, mm -hmm. praising Allah and, 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 and all of these things. Straight after the fight with, uh, with, with Dustin, what did he say? He goes, I mean, this is what MMA is about. It's about respect. And, so, and, it's and, not about trash and, 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 and reflecting this, right, would you then say as a someone who studied philosophy, right, uh, do you see a link between training, MMA, your lifestyle, and the spiritual aspect of yourself in line with Islam? Do, do you see this all integral? Do you see them as two separate things? Um, I, I think it, it boils down to uh, it boils down to excellence. Everything you do, you have to do it at the highest level. Excellent, you know. This hadith as well. Everything you do, do it amazingly, perfectly. Mm. Yeah, son. Why would I do it? Why would I do something wrong? Because I'm lazy. I think doing something wrong costs more energy. Because then you have to redo it or you have to live with the consequence. And living with the consequence of doing something wrong, I, I'd rather do it right. And I think people who do things wrong or they're lazy, they don't understand. They don't see the potential in themselves. You have massive amounts of potential. God gave you this massive amount of potential. Why aren't you using it? Why aren't you using it? I'm trying. The, the <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> the truth of the matter is, we can do more than we do. And if we exploit our potential, we could do something good for the Ummah. Inshallah. So, so there is, are you, are you then saying, like, for the lay people that, and we've, we've barely touched the surface of for us is a philosophical depth. So are you saying it is linked, Dean, spirituality and training? I would say yes, because if you, if if your dean says do things perfectly, mm. then you should carry that in everything. Everything should be done perfectly. Spot on. If you do your prayers five times a day, that means you're highly disciplined. You're always aware of the clock. You're a finely tuned human being. You're always aware. You're, you're not just lazing around. No, no. So why can't you make your academics like that? Why can't you make your training like that? Why can't everything be almost... Like like you're in the military, you can transfer it. Yeah, yeah if you can wake up for fajr, mm -hmm. if you can do that, you can do anything. Like the people write books about the benefits of waking up early. Successful people wake up early. Sure, there are many books written on. Yeah, people who wake up early, 
the benefits. One benefit is there's no disruption. You're at the highest level of energy you're going to have throughout the whole day. You just woke up. Your body's just fresh right now. There's no phone calls. Excuse me. There's no emails. There's no disruptions. The early bird gets the worm is a popular uh, it is indeed. adage. Yeah. There's so much wisdom in that. If you could do that, why haven't you exploited your potential? Everybody has potential for something. Uh. Exploit that potential. Do something good. And uh, I don't see how, how... I feel that's very satisfactory in itself as well. You know, just, it feels good to to exploit your potential and do something good for others, you know? That's why I say, I think Khabib, Khabib did that. You know, I'm sure he's had a lot of sacrifice to get to where he is. I can't imagine, you know? Sure. And he's doing something good for the Ummah. That's what I, I love best about him. He's he's winning for everybody. He is. He feels he's, that way. He's, he's doing something really positive. Mm. And he's bringing a lot of young kids together and giving them something to get interested about. You told me that one time you were driving to the gym with your sons. And generally, there's a moment of silence, or you you, you try instill yeah. silence. Well, when we drive to the gym, it's yeah, silent silence. in the car. And uh, one of your sons was it the younger one who asked yeah. you, "Baba, um, <laughs> everything came from something." Yes, well, and everything will be okay. Everything will be okay. How did you come? Which, well, on his own, just reflecting. Thinking. Amazing. And I watch him in the review. I see he's thinking, he's thinking, he's thinking. <laughs> and Walla, you know, this is an Islamic concept. Mm. Everything comes from something. Everything comes from Allah. That's right. And everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be fair and just. Allah is just, that's right. This is what Islam says, right? Mm. Full on. You think you got away with that that murder? You think you got away with this sin? No, 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 no. It's going to be made just. That's right. And he's telling me upon his own reflection, you know what? Things are going to be good. Things are going to be fair. Things are going to end up good. And that's a fitrah. But when we're listening to music or we're watching movies and we're eating or we're drinking, we're wrestling, we're doing all the things, all the activities we love to do. You never sit with that fitra. You never sit alone. And there's a lot of great things that happen in, w with the mind if you give it quiet. And wow. you said someone who doesn't like quietness mm -hmm. tends to be <laughs> or an indication that their anxiety with the reality of death or a, a dislike of thinking about these things. Well, so, so That's quite interesting. Take, take right? for instance, some people, they're constantly on their phone. They're co they constantly need Some sensation. type of stimulus, yeah. Stimulus, 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 stimulus. stimulus, stimulus. Why? If you put them in a room alone with no entertainment, not just alone, not starving. I'm not saying you're putting them in a torture chamber. They're just alone, quietly. They're either going to fall asleep so they can escape their solitude. Mm. They can't be in solitude at all. Why? The question is why? Well, if you're in solitude and you don't fall asleep, let's say you stay awake, something very special is going to happen. That's why you see a lot of people when they go to jail all of a sudden, they completely transform. They fix up. Mm -hmm. Not all of them. Some Many. become worse. Yeah. <laughs> Some become way better. But there's a transformation either way. Of course. Mm -hmm. Solitude will bring something outside of you. It, there's something that's inside will bring it out. I think about death the most when I'm alone. Sure, absolutely. Like it's, you know, if someone said to me, when do you think about death and akhirah the most? <laughs> it's when I'm alone and usually in bed sure. with the lights yeah. off. Death is the elephant in the room. That's right. In the West, we sugarcoat it. Oh, he passed on. No, he died. Oh. They didn't pass on. He died. Say it. Say it. Say it. Like people, people say it. They, they massage it. Mm. Me, I expect to die. Like my kids, they ask me, "Are we gonna die?" Yeah, I say, "Yeah, we're gonna die. Of course, we're gonna die." Mm -hmm. But I make my peace with death. I make my peace with death. But I also don't believe death is the end. That's why I can have peace with death. But some people, they're so scared of death, they don't even want to talk about the topic. 
It's always brushed aside. Oh, yeah. uh, don't talk. It's it's a uh, in the West the way we deal with it is look. It's gonna happen a really long time from now. Yeah. So forget about it. Listen to this podcast. Watch this movie. Yeah, yeah. Listen, listen to this podcast. Listen, listen to this podcast, podcast and then die afterwards. Okay. <laughs> don't die yet. Listen to it then die, please. And I think I think you have to deal with that issue. Like my son, my youngest son went through it very recently. His grandfather died. His great grandfather died. <laughs> on his mother's side. And when we sat them down to tell him about it, he started crying right away because he knew his grandfather was sick. His great grandfather was sick. He knew he was sick. Mm-hmm. So right when I said, hey man, so I sit down. He doesn't want to talk to you. Right away, he started crying. And he said to me, he said, I said to him, why are you crying? He said, because I know he died. I said, yeah, you're right, he died. I said, why are you crying though? He died, but why are you crying? He said, because I'll never see him again. And I said to him, how do you know this? Because he didn't have an answer. I said, I asked him, how did you meet him the first time? Where did you come from? He looked at me and said, I said, where were you before you were born? I said, wherever you were, when you die, the same way you came the first time, you're going to come again. He changed completely. I said, the way you met him the first time, inshallah, say inshallah, you'll meet him again. Sure. And you don't know. Why, why, well, who told you you're never going to see him again? Who told you this? Where did you know? When I cross-examined him, khalas, he, he shook his, and he, he calmed down and he eased him. Mm. I said, nobody can tell you you're never going to see him again. You saw him the first time, yeah? Me, in my opinion, proof of th- this world is proof of another world, the next world. So, If I was born now, I'm going to be born again. If, you know, this is a cyclical argument. It's in the Quran. How is Allah going to raise us up? The way he did it the first time. Exactly. This is beyond logic, beyond Euclidean geometry, beyond your scientific uh, scope. But it happened. How it happened, Allahu Alam, but it happened. That's yeah. how I see it. Bringing the podcast uh, to, to a kind of a close, um, one of the challenges that Muslim parents, and even parents from the Jewish and Christian backgrounds as well that they're experiencing now, is this surge of normalization of LGBT curriculum. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, children being told that, look, now look, we live in a secular liberal society. So, I mean, I, I, mean up, I was up against uh, Piers Morgan not too long ago. Uh, and he asked me, do you believe uh, someone who engages in homosexual acts uh, is sinful? I go, well, of course, yes. From my faith point, mm-hmm. of course. Yeah. But, but we, live in a, mm-hmm. we live in a liberal society. Mm-hmm. I'm not inciting violence or hatred. And we no. can live in peace whilst, whilst differing yeah. uh, quite clearly. Yeah. But what's happening now is that children as young as four and five are being taught, mm-hmm. n- not from a morally neutral point of view, by the way. Mm-hmm. They're being told that, look, Amina, look, Abdullah. If you want to identify as a girl, it's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. If you want to identify as a boy, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you want to don't want to identify neither a male or a female, it's okay. Mm-hmm. If you decide to be gay, it doesn't matter if you're Muslim, it's okay. And that's not morally neutral. What advice would you give parents, especially Muslim, Christian, mm-hmm. Jewish parents who are experiencing mm-hmm. this now? And, 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 and one could argue that, look, this is expected. You're living in a lib- secular liberal society. But one would counter that it's not being taught from a morally neutral point of view. Like the way we taught religion mm. in school. It's morally neutral. Whereas this is now being kind of proselytized. How do Muslim parents overcome this massive challenge? Massive. Uh, I'm going to give you guys a, a little bit of harsh medicine. Go on. The problem, the reason why it's a problem is because of the Muslims. We don't teach our kids 
how to rational, how to understand our deen through a scope of reason. You can take my sons and tell them why being homosexual is good and okay, and this, they're going to disagree with you. Not because I beat them with a stick, but because I reasoned with them. Did you armrest? Did you? You sure you didn't? But did you? I pinched him a little. <laughs> you got him in a kimura. The truth, listen, uh, listen. When you have a, when you're born in a family, mom, dad, brother, sister, there's something very special. How are you supposed to rationally teach a four-year-old? The four-year-old. From the age of two, the kids can start to reason. From the age of two. Slowly, you reason step by step. Slowly. Gently, and I tell them sometimes when you get older, you'll, you'll, you'll understand this more. But Child I, development I, I dialogue not... with my kids all the time, very important dialogue. Have you had this dialogue with them? Absolutely, How did it about go down? the LGBT movement. How did it Absolutely, go down? very well, very well. I told my kids how my father sacrificed his life for me to go to school mm. to have a better life. That's what he did. My father sacrificed his whole life to push up. My, my dad was not educated. But I'll tell you something. There was no way his kids were not going to be educated. Impossible. He made it impossible for me to fail. Alhamdulillah. Allah bless you. Alhamdulillah. I mean, I mean. Now when, I'm, when I succeeded, I realized why he did that. But also, my, I had a mom, a dad, brothers, and we had a lot of love in our family. This experience of having a love from your mom and your dad is something very unique. You can't get. The family unit is something very special. There's Allah and then there's the family unit is the second most important thing. This family unit, my kids are experiencing it. And I'm telling them I sacrifice for them. And I'm expecting them to do the same thing. And they're going to want to do it. Why? Because they felt what it is to have mom, dad, brother, sister. We take care of each other. We have this, this special experience. And look, if you are born a child and you are abandoned, you might not know that. You might not understand that. Yeah. People who get into the sex industry were often abused as children. Yes, Paul. Listen, that's the, that's the truth. A lot of them were abused, so they didn't have this love. So for me, the number one thing is first have a strong family bond. Me and my family, we spend a lot of time together. We share in a lot of activities. We, we, we have common interests. And I want them to desire to replicate that. You cannot replic replicate that if you're homosexual. So in my opinion, they're going to want to replicate that. So they're going to be attracted to the opposite sex. Because for me, I tell my sons... If our forefather, let's say it's genetic, they're going to tell us it's genetic. Okay, well, my father wasn't gay because I wouldn't be here. And his father wasn't gay 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 because if they were, we wouldn't be here. I definitely am not gay. I could tell you that 100%. So how could I father gay children? I'm, I'm not gay. They're going to tell me, oh, it's, I'm not gay. it's something that can change over time. You don't know that. They don't know that. Listen, the truth of the matter is my kids... I want them to carbon copy what we did for them. I paid the sacrifice for their lives. I want them to pass it forward. The truth of the matter is, if you're gay and it's by nature, and this and that, that's your fitna. I tell my kids, it's not our fitna. We don't have this. Mm -hmm. We don't have it. In my family, we don't have it. If tomorrow we have it, it's his fitna. Inshallah, he deals with it well. Inshallah, yeah. Inshallah, he, here, here's the truth of the matter. I tell my kids, look, What's halal is good for the family. What's haram destroys the family. The family is more important than me. When you say, hey, I'm not, I'm not doing this family thing. That means you put yourself ahead of us. Khalas, you broke our family. One generation supporting the next, supporting the next. And our progeny goes on. You broke away. You said, you know what? I'm doing my lifestyle, my way. 
Okay, he broke away. That's your choice. When uh, uh, Nuh alayhi salam saw his son running up the hill, what did God tell him? Let him go. Mm-hmm. That's it. Let him go. If my son tomorrow, when he grows up, he's an adult, he wants to do that, let him go. Wallahi, let him go. I, I, I won't go on my knees for nobody. But, inshallah, he felt the love, the family unity. He's going to re- want to replicate it. And if they tell me it could be genetic, wallahi, look at the whole line of Zahib. He's not one of us. Mm. How do we get here? Alhamdulillah. Recent studies have, have come out to confirm that it's, it's unsubs- it, it cannot be substantiated that there's any uh, genetic basis for homosexuality. It's actually circums- uh, it's actually nurturing. And that's well, they're going to tell you this. They're going to say, look, when there's overpopulation, high density population, mm. they're going to tell you epigenetics. This is one, one possible argument I've heard. Let's say, look, your genetics, they're not just fixed the way they are. They can morph to your, yeah, they plug, uh, yeah. your environment. They're going to say, look, because you're in high, high uh, uh, dense population, that they theorize. It's a theory. It's not proven. The, the homosexual gene might fire, so that way we we plateau the 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 population will plateau. Mm. Okay, give me the most rational, give me the most logical argument. I still don't. I'm still not raising my children to be gay, and I'll tell you why. Because I want my progeny to go on. What's halal is for the family. If you look at every law in Islam, it's to put the family up. It's the, the nucleus of Islam is the family. So my kids, when they're going to feel that love, that, in my opinion, the love of the family is going to outshine everything. They're going to want to reproduce it. However, if your family is cold and judgmental and harsh, you're going to be like, why the hell would I want to do this? Mm-hmm. So I can have a kid. We don't talk to each other. We don't know each other. But when you see the family's tight, very close, I think it's the, it eliminates all the problems. That's a really, really very, very interesting perspective that I don't think a lot of people have. But when ever we, ever approached the, the the subject of homosexuality that, was that very it, practical I, thank th- thanks for explain to us that web that remember that you had to study that web with some of your peers and you had to basically jot whenever there was a divorce or a case of domestic violence and what that web indicates yeah so th- there is a a practice used in um it's a systemic practice in social service and social care mm-hmm. um and the, the tool is called a genogram so a genogram is basically like a it's like a, a family tree but with more uh, keys and more annotation on things that people have experienced in their life. So it's typically three generations: so grandparents, parents, children, and 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 you can just look at it. And if you've used the tool enough, you you can see it and you'll get answers from that poster imme- immediately. And um, and you know, you know doing this exercise many times um, as a student, um, you can see the trends that the patterns mm-hmm. that that run through families mm-hmm. threads that go all the way through generations whether it's sexual exploitation mm-hmm, sexual mm-hmm, abuse mm-hmm. drug abuse um, substance misuse divorce, domestic violence domestic divorce violence. all of that stuff and a fascinating thing happened once and i'll make it as brief as possible during an exercise where i was buddied up with someone and um and they did their genogram they did the personal family one first you have to get consent whether you're happy to share it with mm-hmm. your peer they did it and there's all sorts happening yeah, there was you know dysfunctional family mm-hmm. and uh, there was divorces and all these things and and then it was my turn to do mine and Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen marriage no broken lines mm. Alhamdulillah marriage Alhamdulillah no broken line marriage children married no alcohol no drugs no violence no nothing everyone Muslim star and crescent except for Anwar <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and there was and then there was and 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 the same faith running through and um and then uh, you know a tutor came and said how how did that kind of uh this exercise feel and 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 the person said that I after seeing Aki's 
I feel really embarrassed of my family. Mm, yeah. I said, you shouldn't feel embarrassed of your family. It's nothing. No, no, it's, no. But it's not about how you should feel. It's sad. But I understand what you mean by that. Sir. And 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 I, obviously I didn't say it, but I'll say it today in this podcast. Mm. The reason why so and so felt embarrassed is because they knew that's what a family should have looked like. Exactly. They knew that. Absolutely. And if they were able to swap in an ideal world, but, but still have the same members, of course, mm. they would swap. We're and it a, goes back to what you said about you know the which how is, integral this, families. This family is, is is being attacked from all sides now. In the West, it's dying out. Families don't exist no more. It's, marriage is down and divorce is up. Why? The question is why. Mm. They have lost these traditional values. Now, in my opinion, look, you wanna you wanna you, you wanna break up the family. You wanna be a a guy who just goes on Tinder and finds a different girl every week. That's your that's your business. Me, I don't worry about other people. I worry about me. And I could tell you that. To have that family unity is the greatest experience. Number one is Allah. Second greatest experience is family unity. Mm. And this family unity only exists when we sacrifice for the unity of this family. This generation now, they've become the selfie generation. My Instagram, my me. I don't want to get pregnant. I have stretch marks. I don't want to have... A wife, I'll be tied down. I have all these girls. It's all about me, my profile, my connections, my social network. Yeah. So basically, your father sacrificed for you. His father sacrificed for you. And if you go back far enough, they went through the plague. They went through the war. They went through famine. They did everything to bring you here. And you're like, oh, finally. Because all parents, we say, I'm going to give my kid a better life. All of us. Of course. I'm going to pay the price and he's going to have a better life. Okay, here we are. The generation with the better life. What did we do? They the te- look back a hundred generations. They all brought you to here. You have your microphone. You have your lights. You have your airplanes. You have. You did it. Now what are you gonna do with it? Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm gonna end it here with me. I'm not gonna have any kids. No family. Everything you guys did, khalas. I'm gonna end it. Me, when I think about my family, I think about my kids, my family, and my progeny. All of them. Mm. What they did to bring me here, I'm passing it on. I have a debt to pay. I'm gonna raise my kids. I'm gonna educate them. And inshallah, they continue the progeny. If they inshallah. don't, wallahi, if they don't, that was out of my control. When I'm in front of Allah, I'm going to say, Allah, I took him, I raised him, I fed him, I loved him, I taught him, and this is what he did. May Allah bless the Zahabi progeny with many, many generations. On that note, this wonderful podcast comes to an end, but there is something that I must say to you about every Blood Brothers podcast. <clears throat> We got this inspiration from <laughs> Khalid bin Walid radiallahu oh, anhu. When he used to go oh. to those lands and he used to say, Islam, jizya or war? <laughs> Obviously, I can't do that to you because you're, you're my brother. So what we do is, <clears throat> I'm a bit worried about offerings. It's an arm wrestle or a thumb mm. war or you have to try this Bangladeshi delicacy. <laughs> it's called pan and betel nut. Now it's not And it's halal it's According halal. to a lot of shops Oh okay So we have consensus <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I, I, don't, I don't know I mean I mean, the choice is yours uh, mm-hmm. But it will be very telling Of who you are Depending on what you choose so, What are my choices again? So An arm wrestle with me mm-hmm. I thought Because you can't wrestle My younger brother Because if you hurt him I'll get I'll take <laughs> A thumb war with him Or you have to try some of this well, I'll take the lesser of the evils I'll try some of this Okay yes. I, I don't know what I was hoping you'd choose That's if we could join you Spicy? No, no, sweet. So oh, sweet. Get ready for, for us. Well, so, what's the consequence of? There, uh, you're gonna be tripping out of this room. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. We wouldn't do that to no, you. No, no, no. Oh my god, I think this is gonna. Oh, be no, no, it's uh, it's it's nuts. It's okay. nuts, and this red stuff is crushed. Sweet. It's crushed rose petal. 
okay. sweet. It's like a bit v- of like very, sherbet. Very low calorie. I thought it was like a killer chili pepper or something. Nothing. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> it's, not, it's not like a spot hot challenge or anything like that. Okay, okay. No, no, no. Frosting on arm wrists, I mean, bricked it. Listen, my arms are fragile. Bricked it. Yeah, you've done an intimate fast as well at the moment. <laughs> Glycogen's it's low. true. I have a question Listen, for you. Listen, it's the first time. I have a question got, for you. Go on. Give me those three choices uh, Ibn Khalid said. So obviously, circumstantially, as he went out, uh, he was ordered by the Khulafa, uh, mainly Abu Bakr, mm-hmm. uh, that look, go to the people and invite them to Islam. Okay. Uh, tell them. Tell me the three choices. Invite them to Islam. Yeah. Tell them to accept. Mm-hmm. Convey the message. Mm-hmm. If they don't, mm-hmm. get them to pay the jizya. Uh, okay. And if not, then... Fight. Yes. Okay. We are coming, yeah. Can I ask you one question? Yes. Can you point to one civilization with no tax? Ooh. I don't know. The early cavemen have tax? Has there oh, ever you, you been, mean, you has mean there uh, ever been a civilization with no tax that not, doesn't pay tax? From someone who's done some level of reading in history, I don't recall. Uh, there is no civilization. If you want civilization, you have to have tax. We haven't reached a level where maybe one day we'll have robots and we won't need tax anymore. Tax equals civilization. So, and from my understanding, it's join Islam, be civilized with us, or fight us. I love that. How's wicked. Tax is not give us money. The the Sahaba didn't love money. Yeah, of course. If you read the Baha'i no, no, biographies, no, no. they didn't love money. What did Khalid bin Walid used to say with regards to the people when when, uh, when they used to choose tax? When they, when they, they say woe to you, woe to you. Like Islam like, is better. Yeah. Why yeah. do you choose jizya? Yeah. He used Islam. to say this. Exactly. We don't want your money. Akid. But uh, this is how I understood it because if you look at the Arabic Peninsula before Islam, there was no civilization. They were actually they were uncivilized and unlettered. After Islam, they were civilized. But there's no civilization that has no tax. So this is how, how, how would I, I would I personally understand it. After cross-examining it, looking at it, it makes sense to me. But again, that's just my opinion. No, you're right. I know the whole civilization about tax, but uh, I'm glad you I want to have the honor of presenting it to tell you. Me, tell me, how do I eat this? So you put you, it in your mouth and you chew it. Put it in your mouth, in one mouth. You will find it bitter. You no, may it's find sweet. It's sweet. One mouth and just chewing it. And just chew. Don't worry, you're, gonna, you're not going to see double. You're going to remember our names. Everything's going to be okay. What's this called? Pawn. We call it Pawn. So people in India, Pakistan, Bangladesh know this. Pawn. Yeah, yeah, he's we, ready for the arm wrestle. He's I mean, Alabar, no? Yeah, we spiked it. <laughs> for us, it was an absolute pleasure, my brother. It was an honor. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Thank you so much for the experience. Great pleasure. Yeah. Thank you, Habib. Brothers and sisters, and that is all for today's episode of the Blood Brothers podcast. Uh, Watch us on YouTube, subscribe, leave a comment. Doesn't have to be a positive comment, just leave one and like the video. And if you're from North America, there's water there for us. And if <laughs> and if you're from North America, if you're from the States and Canada, subscribe to the Mad Mom Looks channel. And for audio platforms, you can find us under the Mad Mom Looks on Spotify, SoundCloud, uh, Google, Apple, and all of that. And uh, yeah, that's it for all. Blood Brothers out. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. It gets bitter, then sweeter with the water. Yeah. Thank you, boys. It was fun. Brothers Podcast. Five Pillars of Mad Monolith Production.